It's time to go off-road with Willy Pretorius. I'm the novice behind the wheel, and last week we got as far as the basic front and rear axle concept and the differential. Are you ready for lesson two, Willy? Yes. Hi, uh, T, and thanks for having me again. Um, where do you want to start? We'll start with how we deliver the power to the front and rear. I think that's where we left off yes, the I last think, time. I think we covered the basic working of the differential, as well as having to supply power to both the front and rear wheels. And um, I'm fuzzy still, how do we achieve that? Well, with the 4x4, that is then done through the transfer case. And I think we did mention it briefly last week, but we'll go more in depth this week around the transfer case and its function. So the first function of the transfer case is for it to connect the rear prop shaft and the front prop shaft to the gearbox. So it's actually like an extra little gearbox that's attached to the rear of the vehicle's gearbox. Um, so a normal 4x2, for instance, does not have a transfer case, it's just the gearbox, and then the drive shaft gets attached to that gearbox. But with a 4x4, you now have to have a transfer case to transfer that power to the rear and the front at the same time. So that then is just another gearing system that basically connects the front prop shaft. Most 4x4s, actually, you can do that while the vehicle is driving. You can just take it from two-wheel drive and switch it into four-wheel drive with either a lever or with a modern 4x4s, it works with a little switch button that you press. And that just engages the front prop shaft and connects it to the transfer case so that then you've got power permanently going to the front and the rear of the vehicle. The second function of your transfer case is then to change your gear ratio. And that's where your low range comes in. Now, the easiest way for me to explain that is to relate it to a bicycle. Well, I'm sure you've ridden a bicycle before. With I have. multiple <laughs> gears. About three, maybe. <laughs> okay, so on your bicycle, you've got a set of rear gears. It's usually six or seven. On a 21-speed, for instance, it's seven gears in the rear. And then you'll, you'll have three front gears. And you'll have one, two, seven on the rear, and then you... You change the front gear up one, and then you'll have 14, up to 14 on the rear again, and then you'll f change the front gear up one again, and then you'll be up to 21. 21. But then that front gear, all that does is it changes the ratio of you pedaling to the rear gears. Okay? So if you want to go uphill, then you change the front gear to a lower gear. Yes which makes it easier to pedal uphill. And that's your low gear ratio. And then when you want to go downhill and travel faster, then you change the front gear to a higher one, which makes it then a little bit more difficult, but you can travel much faster. Now, the exact same thing hap happens with your transfer case in your 4x4. It changes the ratio of your gearbox to your wheels. So. If you want to travel slow and you want to have a lot of power available on the wheels and you want to make it easier for your engine, then you go to a low gear ratio on the transfer case. You can still use all your gears in the gearbox. So if you have a five-speed or a six-speed gearbox in your 4x4, 
then you just use all six still in that lower ratio. It just makes it much easier for the vehicle to climb and and do the more difficult stuff. I see. Um, and then if you want to travel fast on the highway, you put it in the high gear ratio. That's your normal traveling ratio. Similar to a normal vehicle. Similar, similar to a normal vehicle. So that's the second function of your transfer case. Um, a lot of people actually say, well, I can go up Sony Pass in high range. Yes, you can. But isn't that You're counterproductive to your vehicle? Correct. So uh, that's where they make the mistake. You would rather put your transfer case into low range and make it much easier for your engine and not overwork your engine. Exactly. And, and you will have a much easier time getting to the top. And that's what, what we then use in our 4x4s to make it easier for the vehicle to travel in rough conditions. We always spoke about if you have to transfer a piano up a hill, would you rather do it in a you know, small bucky or a, a, big truck. a proper truck? You, know, you, you don't want the, 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 the mechanism to work too hard. You want it to be optimized for the job that you wanted to do. And that's exactly correct. So when we, when we do our off-roading, we actually teach people that you use the correct mode for the correct terrain. Um, so, for instance, on the highway, you'll be two-wheel drive, or in some permanent 4x4 vehicles, you'll, have, you'll, you'll leave it in four-wheel four drive. We'll get to how that's done mm. a bit later on as well. And then as soon as you go off-road, maybe on gravel road, you'll put it in four-wheel drive because you want the front wheels to assist you when there's any loose surf mm. surface. But you're still traveling at a high speed on a gravel road, for instance, so you'll still leave it on the high ratio. But when you get to the real difficult off-road stuff, then you will change the gear ratio where you're going to be traveling slow anyway. Most vehicles will go, only go up to about 35 kilometers an hour in low range. Even that's fast, I thought. Yeah, that's, that would be red, redlining the engine in sixth gear will achieve 35 kilometers an hour yeah, yeah, on yeah. A, in a low range yeah. on a vehicle. Yeah. Sure, that's so interesting. I think um, that's enough for me for today in terms of learning the the novice side of things. But I do believe that you have some other interesting things to share with us. Yes, I'm actually inviting Gary over to come in and chat a bit about something that's coming up for the 4x4 enthusiasts is the launch of the new Land Rover Defender. And we want to discuss how that goes compared to the other vehicles in the market and also the Ineos Grenadier that's in the making currently. That sounds fabulous. So I think we'll get Gary to come over and join us. Hi, Gary. Um, yeah. How are you doing? <laughs> All right, thanks. Uh, I believe it's one of your first times on this side of the mic. Uh, I stay away as much as possible. <laughs> we thought we'd rope you in because uh, just from our offline discussions, I know you're very interested in the topic. So... <sighs> Your views, What's what do you think about the new Land Rover Defender that's being launched this week? Well, as an old Land Rover owner, I'm in rehab at the moment. Um, <laughs> I um, I learned to drive on a, on a Landy way back in the 70s. And and they were good and they were simple and they didn't break as much as the modern ones. So the old Defender was very popular. 
Um, I don't know if they've taken it to a level where the old landy guys will be comfortable without feeling that they're buying themselves a soft rotor. So it'll be up to whether it's going to prove that it's capable of doing the job. But whether you want to scratch a million rand vehicle, you know, playing in the mud, that's the million dollar question. Well, that's the challenge. And I, but I think these days that counts for most of your capable 4x4s are all in that price class anyway. If you look at the Jeep Wrangler, over 900,000 rand. The Land Cruiser, it's also close to 900,000 rand. So anything really in that class, um, if you look at the vehicles that compared to it, uh, let's look at what Jeep Wrangler, just the two doors, 868,000. The FJ Cruiser is sitting at 700,000 Rand. Ford Ranger Raptor, 850,000. So, and then what? Uh, even the Isuzu D-Max, the Arctic conversion, which is also yeah. a very capable one, that's 822,000 Rand. So they're all more or less in that range. Although the the land, new Land Rover Defender is going to be just a smidge over a million Rand at 1 million and 14,000. So that's, that's going to be a tough one to take into yep. the bush. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at the guys that I've rubbed shoulders with this over the years, and I think, you know, I'd hate to be sitting in the middle of the Kalahari with my brand new Landy and the computer dies on me because then I need to have cell phone reception because you're going to phone somebody with a Toyota to come and fetch me, you know. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, technology is great. We love it when it works. But, man, if it stops working, it's the worst thing that can happen to you. Yeah, I suppose that's a challenge with any modern vehicle, but do you think that, for instance, the, the Land Rover Discovery mm-hmm. has got a lot of electronics, but it, and it's been very successful for overlanding and very, very capable as well. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing the new Land Rover Defender in the bush where it's so designed to actually perform. Yeah. If somebody's going to take it in there, it's just like taking a, a Land Cruiser um, 300 series, trying to take one of those into the bush, you're going to feel sorry for it. Yep. Um, but that's a very capable vehicle still. Um, so I think that's going to be the the test is to see how many people will actually take them into the bush. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the guys will take them overlanding. I mean, usually there they, they want at least a 1,000 kilometers on a, on a tank of gas and they want it to be reliable. And if you're going to be sitting in the middle of out of Mongolia, you want to be able to get to the next stop. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's coming in two versions. It's a, there is a petrol and a, well, there's going to be two diesel engines, the D200 and D240. Okay. And then on the petrol side, the P300 and P400, I think, oh. I think P400 is a six-cylinder big petrol engine. So it's actually... yeah. Gonna be gonna have the thirsty version for the a, thirsty for, version for with a guys with heads. a strong right leg, uh, <laughs> <laughs> heavy right. Well, personally, I actually prefer a petrol on the on the off road, especially when it comes to the slow crawling yeah, um, stuff. It's a little more sensitive. Well, for me, it's actually more controllable. The diesel, you it actually tends to want to pull away too quickly because of that bottom end torque, and you've got to learn almost to use your left foot to brake a bit. So you do that left foot braking to control your very slow crawling speed. Uh, whereas a petrol is nice, the torque comes in gradually, so you can just increase the revs gradually and and you can crawl and control it. So yeah, that's going to be 
exciting to see. Um, something else that's on the horizon is the Ineos Grenadier. Oh, yes, that one's causing a stir. You've been reading up on it, apparently. Yeah, so. it's, it's like everybody says, I need it. They want to need it before they want to have it. But I thought it was very interesting that the guys went back to a simple non-high-tech machine that's well-engineered from the ground up. So they, were, they, they started the engineering process by looking at what works out of everybody that's on the market and then narrowing it down to, okay, what can we do? How can we do it? And then they found the best in the industry, gearbox-wise, diff-wise, uh, and, and designed it around function more than form. The mere fact that it looks like an old Defender is just coincidental, I think. It's got a little bit of Galand of Argen styling as well. But what I've seen of it, and I've seen a bit of footage of it actually performing, um, impressive. And what I like, it's basically a good BMW engine, nice gearbox, nice uh, mechanics, and uh, simple. And a little bit broader than the old Landy, so you don't have to sit there bumping your arm against the window all the time and having the handbrake kicking your left leg. Um, yeah, I said to T earlier, it's almost like they put a, a Defender body onto a Jeep chassis because the Jeeps yeah. are a little bit wider. Yeah. And yeah. Um, now it's got solid axles, so that's nice. It's yeah, and it's on a, on a, that. It's got coilovers all around. Yep. The, the guys, I actually watched a, a conversation with the engineer that designed the suspension, and he said, German guy, and he said he prefers, out of all the options they had between the airbags and, and everything, they preferred the coil because they could control the, the, the adjustable spring rates depending on what they wanted to do. So they went and spent a lot of engineering on it. They're talking about 2022 release. Um, prototypes they've got a couple that's already out there now i'm hoping that some of the prototypes will come to africa they usually come down here and try playing the mud in the sand no they've got to test them yeah i mean this is uh, this is the ideal terrain yep. to do that so in. we have we have fortunately um some very good uh, test areas for them to come and try it out so hopefully we'll see it in action there'll always be some spy footage um so yeah i think it's going to be a good one uh whether it's going to price correctly for the market um, they're also looking at a double cab bucky version, which I think is for the farmers. That's going to be a worker, workhorse. And um, yeah, but it's not going to cost a Mahindra price, that's for sure. Well, they, they, they said they're looking at pricing it close to where the Jeeps are, so, yeah. well, which is also in that, that, that category, price, yeah. price range category. Yeah, I know for me, I I'm, I'm, might be a little bit biased, but if you look at value for money, mm. capable 4x4s these days, there's not much that gets close to the Jeep Wrangler Rubicon. No, I agree. The good um, thing is that this is not going to be a fancy car. It's one that you can, if, you get, if it gets dirty, you can hose it down inside and out. And I think that's where the industry is actually needing a real good workhorse um, for the simple reason everybody's got fancy stuff, which is, looks great when you're going to the opera, but it doesn't work on a farm. Yeah, but I think Ineos is doing exactly what Land Rover should have done yep. to update the, the Defender and yep. keep it in in tread with the times yep similar to what jeep has been doing with the wrangler over the years by updating it regularly um so yeah we're looking forward to seeing those those on the road uh, it's going to be great it's it's going to be a long wait and um if we're not playing uh, we have to do with the lockdown now we have to stay home it's going to make it a long wait so any footage we can get and any conversations around it will come down to some pretty good entertainment at the moment when the journalists start getting hold of it, we'll we'll be able to see closer to home what it's like. Yeah, let's see when they start uh, when they start driving them. Actually, yep. what happens? <laughs>
Thanks, Gary. Thanks, right, Thanks for joining us. Right. Great. We'll do it again. Okay. So that's uh, that's it for us this week. Um, we'll see you guys next week again where we'll catch up with some more news as well as carry on with the basic introduction where we will cover more of the 4x4 system as far as the drivetrain goes. Thank you.